Right then, should we do an intro and then I'm going to get my tea? It's Ewan's turn. Let Ewan do all the work. Oh, worse. And makes a nice change. Eight glorious years of relaxing. <laughs> He's taking a run up at it now. <laughs> it's your time to shine. Right. Uh, okay, let's do it. Are you ready? So hold up. What's for first one? What? Welcome to 361, a podcast about mobile technology and the world around it. My name is Ewan McLeod. My name is Ben Smith. And I'm Rafe Blanford. This is Season 17, Episode 3, and this week we're talking about IKEA's latest smart home kit. We're asking, is Facebook eavesdropping? And we're asking what we think about government backdoor access to your messaging apps. Chaps, how are you doing? Yeah, rocking. Very well, thank you, Ben. <laughs> Very low energy start to the show this evening. Where are you? <laughs> you and McLeod, let's do a location check. Coming live at you from Frankfurt, Germany. Hello. Frankfurt this evening. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Guten Abend. Well done. Something. Yep. Yes. Guten yes. Abend. Right, there yes. you go. So yeah. that's, that's the beginning and end of my German. There we go. Rafe Blanford, where are you? This is London calling. Ah. London calling, and I come to you uh, live and direct from the sunny but brackets dark West Midlands. I'm in Birmingham, UK this evening ah. because of reasons that I've come to regret. <laughs> okay, well, that's exciting too. New yeah. location. Awesome. That's a first for 361. Yes, absolutely. It's very good, actually, because I've come on a business trip and I just looked inside my suitcase, which constitutes a change of clothes that I could quite happily fit sort of into my pocket. And an entire suitcase of podcasting gear, microphones, backup leads, more yeah, leads. that's what you need stand. to do, exactly. Absolutely. Yes. So, yes, I, I now travel not light. Can we just check, uh, just, what kind of suitcase is it, though, after last week's discussion? Oh, uh, so this is a Travel Pro four-wheeled cabin bag. There you go. Okay, Very thank nice. you. Thank you. I've left the Peak Design one at home. Okay, so. thank you. Right. Thank you for asking. As always, I've no idea how this is going to sound because we're in different places with different kit and I'm in a horrible hotel room with a squeaky chair so i'm going to try and stay are you speaking mobile. into a wardrobe though no i've abandoned the wardrobe but i am now going to sit completely motionless to avoid the squeaky chair syndrome for the rest of the show let's crack on because we're back and we've got some cracking feedback as we record this mm. the first episode of the new season went out over the weekend and lots of people delighted to have us back so thank you for everyone who sent uh, nice messages yeah, that love was you lovely thank you and in the spirit of doing what we said we said we would respond to any feedback and we'd be touching mm. subjects quite frequently and we've already got our first bit of content today suggested by a listener this morning. Ooh. So thank you, Alistair Harding, for your suggestion. We'll be uh, covering your topic in a moment. Anyways, let's kick off. And first up, you and McLeod, yes. we're going to talk about a new bit of kit that you encountered. Uh, IKEA have gone big time into smart home. They have. For a long time, they have been in smart home. And every time I have gone to IKEA, which is quite often when you're an expat, you know, with children, you know, I've just been clear. I just imagined that living the high-profile, high-rolling, executive expat lifestyle that you did, that you would be shopping slightly further up the food chain than IKEA. The trouble is, living in Copenhagen, one can't let one's partner, they can't let Hetty anywhere near these high-end shops. So I have successfully, because <laughs> it, yeah, it is €10,000 for a chair kind of territory. Right. And I have successfully lobbied for the darling, we have got a two-year-old, a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old, that's a two-year-old who's just wiping jam on everything. Why would we spend... X, 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 you know, whatever, 
yeah, let's just get IKEA. It's quite so that's why I have managed to get there quite regularly. Pretty good. Yeah, you see, we solved that problem a different way. Go on. We took the jam off the two-year-old. Yeah, see, I don't know if I subscribe to that. I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. And it's not just jam, it's Nutella, it's everything, right? Right. Olive oil. Right, so uh, back to IKEA on topic. So therefore, I am there regularly. And uh, since we've been doing this, since I've been in Copenhagen, I've been in Copenhagen three years, I have regularly invested in IKEA tech. But it's only recently, I think they've taken another step. They've got a bigger range of bulbs, a bigger range of kind of additional sensor arrays and, and so on. And it is also compatible now. Because if you remember, it wasn't quite compatible. You had to do quite a lot of jiggery-pokery messing around to make the IKEA stuff compatible with you know, Hue or smart things alike. So the IKEA lights, they're the trad-free range, if trad- I'm remembering that right. The whole thing's trad-free, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that all works synchronised with Hue, and it's getting some reasonable feedback for low-cost stuff. But the new stuff that I saw recently that I thought you would be well up for was their new Sonos partnership. Yes. Because they've now got some stuff that is Sonosy, isn't it? But is that trad free as well? I can't I, uh, Oh, I don't know, actually. But no, I think it's a different brand. Yeah. No, it's uh, Symphonisk. Oh, Symphonisk. There you go. I was going to ask Ewan, with his best Danish accent, how to pronounce this. Carefully. That's how you pronounce it. It's S-Y-M-F-O-N-I-S-K. Yeah, no, I think, I think you did it, Symphonisk. Yeah, yeah, I think you did it well, yeah. As all my Nordic colleagues know, I'm an absolute expert in all of Nordic languages. Can't even say my street name properly. Uh, I haven't successfully gone to IKEA yet when those speakers have been available because the job, again, you know, if you are going to IKEA and you're buying lots of other stuff, it's actually quite easy to buy lots of tragedy or other like other speakers because you, know, you can hide it. Now, that's what I've done in the past. I don't think Hetty's hearing this. Uh, she's not listening to the podcast, I don't think. Yet. Yeah, I'll WhatsApp her afterwards. Yeah, don't, fine. don't, don't. Yeah. Because, you know, I go to the trash free shelves and just go that one, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. Yeah, because it is quite reasonable, right? And, you know, it's more accessible than Hue you know, or any of those kind of bulbs and like. So I end up buying quite a lot, but you can hide it within the, the actual total purchase. But it does not end up kind of defeat the object of not going to the high end store because you just spent it anyway, but on other things. No, no, come on. You can't step into my life, Mr. Blanford, right? Yeah. Because it's one chair, you know, and that's your year's spend at IKEA. Right. One high-end chair or something, yeah. Anyway, we should probably describe what they've actually got here. Cause it, Go on. It's a partnership with Sonos, and actually they have both a Wi-Fi bookshelf speaker, as they describe it, yeah. that's £99. That's noticeably cheaper than the Play One and some of the other Sonos right. equipment. And they also have a table lamp with a kind of Wi-Fi speaker built in, and that's £150. The reviews sort of indicate it's maybe not the quality of the Play One speakers, but it does allow you to kind of invisibly put more Sonos speakers around your home. And for anyone that's used Sonos, you know, it just works well because it's easy to set up. You can get it optimized. It works with lots of different services. So it's fairly agnostic, whether that's Spotify or anything else, compared to the Echo Range or something like the HomePod, mm-hmm. which tend to be a bit more tied to other services. And I think Sonos have long had a reputation for just working. And so seeing this kind of effective licensing and partnership agreement with IKEA is great. And I also like the fact that they are not making them obvious bits of tech in the home. They're trying to get them to disappear into the bookshelf or the lamp that you already have on that bedside yeah. table or in the living room. And I think it's a really smart move. Yeah, I saw a teardown of these devices, actually, that said that most of the guts of the Symphonisk range are actually almost identical in terms of chips and amplifiers wow. and electronics to a Play One. 
So they're slightly different speaker components, so they aren't going to sound quite as good. Right. And I think the build quality on the actual sort of chassis as well, which obviously with audio stuff will make a difference in terms of how it sounds, isn't quite up to scratch. But it definitely looks like the Symphonisk and the Play One, at least, are being manufactured by the same third party, the mm. same Chinese supplier that does a lot of the Sonos build. And so certainly it's a little bit of a step down, but it's not a bargain basement and it's certainly not much of a compromise. So all in all, it could be cracking value. And as you say, I mean, I probably would still choose to spend the extra money on a Play One if I wanted to put it in a public area in the house, but actually for bedrooms and spare rooms and offices and that kind of stuff, you can't really argue with 100 quid for a Play One capable speaker. And then if you remember all the trad-free cool stuff, I went to town on the switches. I have got tons of trad-free switches. Now, these are the power off and on stuff. I actually reset them. It's quite easy to do, so they work exclusively with smart things. And it's just tremendous value. It works really nicely. Great job, IKEA. I'm super impressed. Okay, so we haven't got too long left on this. I mean, obviously, hey, you should buy these cheap Sonos speakers. Why are Sonos and IKEA doing this? Because I can sort of understand that IKEA gets sort of the benefit of people, you know, impulse buying these speakers and they come, you know, the the kudos of it working with Sonos is good. Isn't Sonos like sort of undermining the value of their products by sticking out 100 quid speakers with IKEA? Well, it's an interesting question because you said the components are similar, but I think it's probably more a defensive move by Sonos because they're actually facing off against all the other smart speaker manufacturers. And this is a way to expand their addressable market and arguably get Sonos stuff in front of people who might not otherwise have seen it and you know kind of you and refer to the pilgrimage to IKEA and actually being able to pick up the equipment I mean the same reason that people would pick up their kind of smart light bulbs or switches or whatever from IKEA I think we have to remember that you know Sonos has been around quite a long time and the kind of recent rise of smart speakers and whether that's something like the HomePod or more particularly what Amazon is doing with the Echo range of devices and Amazon themselves just had a another announcement and it's the echo studio i believe it is which is kind of a high quality speaker they're sort of extending at the bottom end but you can also pick up a basic echo device for a very small amount of money and even one that's got fairly decent speakers in it for certainly undercutting the sonos price so i would see this as a way of sonos being able to expand its kind of reach and its marketing and honestly there is a really interesting question here now that the smart speakers start to do multi-room audio well and we talked about that in a previous episode and amazon getting to that and as are others and sort of some of the google speakers as well it's interesting how do you as sonos survive and i think they've done two things one they've kind of have built in the smart speaker stuff and you can now obviously get the sonos speakers with the voice assistants built in and they've been quite smart about it because they're going to make it available for multiple assistants and, you know, if you don't want to choose the Google route or the Amazon route, you know, maybe go Sonos. It gives you some choice. And the other way they're expanding is to try and get to people who might not be interested or might not be buying smart speakers anyway. And that's where I see the IKEA partnership coming in. So I think it's partners to survive in what is probably an increasingly competitive space. So you've got Sonos stuff in your house, haven't you, Ian? Yeah, yeah, I do. And so would you add £100 bookshelf yes, speakers yes, into the mix? Yes. Because, you see, I, it's a slightly different context when you're talking with the children and they're like, you know, I don't think they need absolutely, you know, top quality audio. They just want to hear, you know, chitty chitty bang bang or something like that. And yeah, then that, that's the important, you know, aspect. See, your house is different to ours. Yours is just cheerful urchins covered in jam listening to uh, chitty chitty bang bang. 
Well, do you know okay. one of the, the, the most favourite things the children do is they ask the smart speaker, what character am I thinking of? And it asks them a lot of questions. It keeps them busy for hours. It really does. They come up with some you know, character from a movie and then they get it to ask questions, to guess. We play making animal noises and tell me a joke and that kind of stuff in the, right. on smart speakers. But I, I think whilst I do love our smart speakers, I know, Rafe, you were saying there is the Echo Studio now, but we still have the Sonos devices in the kitchen and we've got a couple of them synced up because it's nice to be able to not have a big echoey noise, you know, just one speaker blaring on one side of the kitchen to be able to have a few dotted around the place, nice and quiet, all synchronised perfectly. And I think we still prefer Sonos for the quality of the audio to listen. So even if we're just using our echo to control it, we're starting and stopping the music, we're still using Sonos. But that tie-in and that flexibility you mentioned, Rafe, is... Would you have a Sonos in the child's room? We don't at the moment, but I think for 100 quid we might. And actually, I think it's interesting building the smart speaker into the light. Actually, the one I saw with the light, I thought, that's really good. But Yeah, that's good. It doesn't actually have a smart bulb built in either. So you need a trad-free bulb in there so you can then have, you know, just synchronized audio. Have you seen the chargers, the charging table? Oh, yes. Yes, they're they're really cool as well. So they've got a nice line in inductive. No, is it inductive charging? Yes. That's quite nice. That had Hetty going, oh, that's quite smart. She quite liked that. Yeah. So a nice line in charging for smartphones and things as well that you can stick into your furniture now. And I think probably that works well in all kinds of furniture, not just the IKEA stuff that has the pre-cut holes for it as well. Exactly. Okay, so Rafe, you think this is a smart move by Sonos? I do. I mean, I think it's a defensive move in some ways. But actually, if you're choosing to your smart speaker or your speakers, Sonos is a good choice because actually it's agnostic. You know, it does do airplay too. It does work with all the kind of music providers. And, you know, here's a bit more choice in what you can buy from. And I look forward to seeing a few more partnerships like this and maybe IKEA expanding the range. Oh, yeah, I'd forgotten about the AirPlay too. That's really crucial, Mm. isn't it? It's a really good mix, particularly for those of us stuck in the iOS ecosystem. Okay, well, if you've got one of these devices, I'd love to know what you think about it because... Yes, tell us. The specs are one thing, but of course, does it actually work? Is it reliable? Does it sound good enough? Is it weird to have sound coming out of your lamp? All of these important questions you can help us with. Let's move on to the next topic then. You and McLeod, say to myself and Rafe what you said to us just as the show started. Okay. All Tell right. us the all story right. okay. of your friend. Okay. I'm doing my bunny ears here. Your yep. friend. <laughs> my friend. Right. I, your I, friend, so... who's definitely a friend and not you, yeah? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely a okay. friend. It's not me. Jeez, thank you. That's fine. Congratulations on your hotel squeaky chair as well, by the way. Is it that squeak? Can you hear it? Yes. In episode one when I said, sometimes the audio quality won't be able to scratch. Well... This is what we meant. Now, boys and girls, this is your moment. That's because it's me taking a particular... I'm folding my arms and going, Chah! right, okay. So I was just wondering what the current status is on all this ad tracking. Given we have an ad tracking extraordinaire on the podcast, I thought I would ask my two very dear colleagues. I said, look, I, I've been chatting to some of my colleagues from university. It's been a month or so since we've been chatting on WhatsApp. And one of them said, uh, look, have you tried this new Star Trek game? And you said, no, don't be ridiculous, I'm a grown-up. Thank you, no. No, I said, oh, that's interesting. Before we start annoying Ewan about other things, Ben can just shut up for a moment, and Ewan and I can agree that Star Trek is fine Thank and we're all going to watch the new Picard series, right? We are. Going, in fact, we, that's, we're also talking about that as well, because that new series looks really good. That's what we're talking about as well, yeah. It does. Okay, right, we've just lost 75% of our audience, but we can build it back up again. No, but we've kept the 25% that actually matter. Of quality, yeah, absolutely. Exactly, exactly. Right, you can come back now, Ben. Move on. Right, yeah, welcome back. Now, my other friend says, oh, I haven't played it either. Fine. 
And then I'm on YouTube the next morning, I think it is, or a few hours later, and I'm getting adverts for this game. And I'm thinking, no, come on, come on, Facebook isn't analyzing what we're typing about, surely. And I thought, you know what, I'll just check in with Blanford in particular, and Ben, because he's, he's up on this stuff as well, and just say that, have I missed something? That targeting was exquisite. Now, hey, I'm into Star Trek, Jenna, but yeah, I've never, ever, ever seen an ad for this iOS game. And then my friend, yeah, he happens to talk about it. And then the next minute I'm seeing, you know, I hadn't looked it up. I hadn't searched for it. I didn't know anything about it. So the question you were asking is, are they listening to me? Yes. Now, look, hold on a minute. I thought that was a valid question. It's been a long time since I've looked at all this retargeting, targeting, you know, what, what is Facebook doing with one's data, right? And you've got to remember, Ewan, there are no stupid questions, only stupid people. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, listeners, you can imagine now the F words coming flying from Rafe Blanford, right? The heir to the Blanford estate. He was livid. Goodness me. He was dismissive in the extreme, and then Ben was not happy either. So look, okay, now, now be polite and just take us through this process, because I thought, surely we're not in this situation whereby whatever I'm writing is being reviewed mm-hmm. by Facebook. So Rafe Blanford, are they listening? Well, first of all, I think you uh, needs to run to the kitchen Get the tin foil out, make it into a little hat and put it on his head because otherwise someone might be listening in on this podcast as well. Oh, wait. Oh, that's the whole point of this podcast. Come on. It's an innocent question amongst friends. Okay. Come on. I'm hoping about 15,000 people are listening in on this podcast. right? (laughs) So, yes, I have seen some suggestions that the big techs are, you know, taking lots of time to listen to your audio and kind of use these smart deep learning and machine learning to kind of transcribe your text and then sell advertising against that. However, that is computationally quite intensive. And no, they're not doing that. There's probably a much simpler explanation in that Facebook is using your social graph and says, oh, this Ewan person's got two friends who have recently started playing this game. And you know what, Ewan's just been talking to them recently, so that's another signal. And there will probably be some other signals like, you know, you've been watching the Picard trailer or you've been at a Star Trek fan site or whatever it might happen to be. And using that kind of information and that kind of signals is much more likely that it is almost certainly the way that this advert has been targeted at you, not listening into your conversation because it's not that interesting. And also, of course, this is a new game being advertised to people who are interested in new to Star Trek games right now. Yes. So even if you hadn't been speaking to your friends, you would likely have seen an advert like this because the years and tens and tens of years and hundreds and hundreds of hours of tracking has worked out exactly the kind of things you like. The genuine tracking across websites and across the apps you use and that kind of stuff knows your profile and knows that you're probably interested in silly Trek stuff. Indeed. And I'm also willing to bet that Ewan is quite suggestible. So having seen this advert, he's probably clicked on it once to kind of go and find out more about the game. And that means that's a really strong signal I of interest. I did not click on it. Thank you. Okay. All right. Thank well, you for you your know. suggestible comment, Mr. Blanford. I was just speculating, of course. If you click on these adverts, you'll see even more of them because they will try and retarget you. But if you've been displaying various signals, those are going to be like the breadcrumbs that lead to you getting this particular advert. 
But there is a serious point here in that actually the technology to kind of listen in potentially is absolutely there. And to be fair, there are some ad tracking technologies now that will work out what you're listening to based on signals or audio messages hidden in the TV in adverts. And that's one of the ways they can attract that kind of thing. But generally, they're pretty strict on listening into conversations. And most of the time, when you say listening, by the way, right? I was talking about it transcribing or reading the text. So it's not listening into any audio. It's just reading okay. the text. Well, I mean, in that case, there is probably more of a possibility that that sort of thing is happening. We know, for example, that what? Google Hold on will... a minute. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. You were just rubbishing me beforehand here. You've been rubbishing me live to dozens of mm-hmm. thousands of mm-hmm. users. That's because we thought you were talking about an audio oh, conversation. Oh, no, I'm not talking about but audio. You, I wasn't you let talking, wait, slip that no. it was Messenger. WhatsApp. I said it was WhatsApp. Okay, well, right. I just I made an okay. assumption, and obviously I'm very upset that, that I may well have inadvertently for... offended you. No, no. But actually, if it's WhatsApp, Facebook have promised, at least for the time being, that that is not used as a source right. for advertising. But what would be used is the fact that you've been talking to your friends. These two friends, And actually, yeah. we may come back to this later in the show, because it kind of links to the last point we want to talk about. But we do know that the big tech companies, and whether that's Google or someone else, they do you know, scan the page or scan your Gmail, for example, Gmail, yeah, and exactly. do targeted yeah. advertising against that. From what's been said, Facebook isn't doing it on things like uh, WhatsApp, which is where you are seeing that. And as yeah. I said, most of the time, people make an assumption that this, what feels like very personalized and one-to-one advertising, usually there's a much simpler explanation about how you can get it. Because what you need to bear in mind, from an advertising point of view, you have to pay more money the more personalized the targeting gets. And actually, you can get to a very good level by using things like lookalikes, which is they look at your behavior and go, someone else who had this similar behavior saw this ad and clicked on it. So therefore, we think he's likely to click on it. And those kind of things are more cost effective and actually less money for the advertisers. And so what often appears to be some kind of precedence about what you're interested in or what you're looking at or very intelligent targeting is sometimes just smart use of signals. Okay. All right. So thank you, Tom and James. Those are my two friends there. Hi, nice Tom. Hi, out. James. I actually wrote, is nothing sacred? Then thought I'd better ask Rafe about this. Now, this is where I'm going to need my Rafe Blanfordopedia because I think there's actually a proper name for this cognitive bias, isn't there? But this is like when you buy a red car and then immediately you drive around, you notice a million of these red cars exactly the same as yours out on the road. And actually, the number of those red cars hasn't changed. It's just that because you're looking for them, because your perception has changed, you suddenly start to notice them because you've got a reason for it. And I wish, I wish, I wish I could remember the name for it. Rafe Blanford will no doubt. Uh, confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. There we go. Oh, okay. Very impressive. That's the one I was thinking of. So actually, no, they're not listening to you in that way because they already own far richer data. And I think the point is that if they only relied on that data listening to you, be it transcribing your audio or just stealing your written words, they actually wouldn't have the predictive element as well. Because if you spoke to the two lads mm. and you hadn't talked about Star Trek, it still would have been an effective advert because you're still you and yeah, you exactly. still have yeah, the shared interests point. with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I may have got that wrong. So I think actually this is selection bias, what you were talking about. If you buy a red car and then see more red yes. cars, or it's also called observational selection bias. Observational selection bias. That sounds a little bit OSB, more like, I was as we call it, desperately Googling as we were chatting to try and remember what it was called. But I think it's an advertising thing, isn't it? Or at least certainly it's talked about in advertising circles. 
It is. I mean, you actually see it all across retail and people rely on it. And actually, sometimes they'll put that into the advertising itself to kind of give you this sense of familiarity, or as we say, selection bias. Okay, let's move on then. Last subject of the day. This is a little bit of a left turn, though still talking about uh, social media. Alistair Harding tweeted me earlier in the day to say good news that 361 was coming back. And he would be very interested to know what we thought around government putting backdoors into encrypted services. So the the backdrop here is that governments in the UK, Australia and the US are lobbying Facebook, but not exclusively Facebook, to allow them backdoor access to the encryption that they're going to add on to Facebook Messenger. And as you say, a number of the products that they own, including WhatsApp, already have some kind of end-to-end encryption. Their argument is that the government needs to be able to access these messages quickly and easily in order that they can stop nasty things like child abuse. And of course, there are you know, counter arguments about uh, compromising the security of our messaging. And so he's invited us to step into that particular snake pit of opinion. So who'd like to go first? Well, ouch, I'm going to get in the context without answering Ooh. any of the actual questions. Excellent. So yeah. uh, this has come up in the news recently because there's actually been talk about this because of a data sharing treaty that's just been signed between the UK and the US. And it actually builds on something called the Clarifying Lawful Overseas Use of Data Act, which I think went through back in 2018. And it's the idea that you'll be able to share data in both directions between the US and the UK at their request when there's a lawful request from the police or a similar body. What it doesn't actually say is anything about having to mandate decryption of that data. Actually, a lot of the time when the police are investigating these kind of things, what they're most interested in is whether two parties have been in contact with each other and not necessarily about the content. And that's what the kind of information that does get handed across regularly to the authorities to kind of confirm you know, patterns of behavior rather than actual content. That's just to say why it's been coming up. And as I say, the kind of the metadata around this is, is generally not encrypted. And you know whether that's Facebook, Google, or someone else can say and will hand over information about who's been in contact with whom, the frequency and the date, but they won't actually share the content. And that's probably the more interesting part of this conversation. I mean, some people would even be concerned about that level of data sharing, but I think it's probably well understood that that kind of metadata is shared. And that is actually part of this recent data sharing treaty that's been signed around metadata, not the actual content. And you know that's been in various acts of parliament in the last few years. I think this is interesting because, of course, Facebook, you know, whatever you think of Facebook, and I'm not a massive fan, nobody in Facebook is saying, hey, guys, let's build a product that helps child abuse. I mean, like they're definitely not deliberately trying to make life easy for people who are doing horrible, horrible things to do those things. So this is always sort of a law of unintended consequences, because, of course, if you build a secure messaging product, people will use it for undesirable purposes. But then if you compromise that secure messaging product, that also could have undesirable consequences because it could make that communication less secure. And I expect in the fairly not too distant future, even that conversation about the metadata, the who called who and when, the you know how many people were on the Skype chat type of uh, conversation will also become sensitive as well because although it's harder to steal any sort of personal information from me without looking inside the message, going back to the conversation we were having a minute ago, Ewan, if you as an advertiser know that we've had a conversation, I might get very fed up if you know if I start to see adverts on the basis yeah. of your preferences or yes. something like that, because they can make that link. So look, I mean, this is a space I work in, and so I have to be careful because actually 
these requests are lawful and they're for the purposes of law enforcement. Mm. And, you know, the danger is that you can start to do a little bit of what if about, well, for example, in my opinion, the current US administration regularly oversteps the mark in, in terms of how it treats civil liberties and those sorts of things. And it worries me. And therefore, I see there's a quite a clear opportunity or a clear risk to certain groups, you know, in the US and uh, associated with the US from ideas like this. But that's a sort of an immediate today concern mm. about, you know, the politicians or the particular measures. But I think, you know, if I had to say one reason why I think this is a terrible idea, it's because it lasts forever. So if you put in a back door and it worked perfectly and only the police can unlock it this year, then all my data is archived. And over the years, that measure becomes vulnerable to attack or somebody leaks the keys or it becomes technologically easier to break the encryption just using brute force. In the future, somebody could go back and collect all of that data that's been archived in an encrypted way or that they've chosen to archive in an encrypted way and break it. And so for my money, you don't just make this decision for now, you make this decision sort of that could be wrong in perpetuity. And for that reason alone, I would say there has to be a better way of solving this problem. But there isn't. There isn't a better way. Right, because you know, if you want your loved ones to be safe and secure, and this is me just giving a different perspective here. You know, if it comes down to if you remember the various different Secret Service movies and TV programs like Spooks, you know, there is a you know an expectation that you should be able to call up the guy or the girl's data and see what they were saying. And oh my God, yes, it was them. You know, get them. Where are they? You know, look their phone up. I think there is an expectation from some publics, depends on which country you're in. You know. That that information should be, you know, if if you're using it the right way, so that's all the definition of the right way, then surely that should be perfectly fine. We don't have anything to hide, you know, unless it's market moving information or unless it's something that's potentially embarrassing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know. Do you know the XKCD cartoon written by Randall Munro? It's the the little stick man cartoon that, oh, yeah. that is often popular with techies. Uh, if you if you're not familiar with it, check it out. He's done a really good cartoon on this, and I'm going to do a poor job of explaining it. But he says, there's an important difference between the way spies behave in films and in real life. Because in films, they go, oh, no, the firewall has a million bits of encryption. We'll have to hack it. And in real life, they say, send the heavies around to his house and hit him with a stick until he tells you the password. You know? <laughs> and so the point there is that I kind of respectfully disagree with the there aren't other ways. Because right. there is, it is obviously frustrating to law enforcement people who have a valid, legal, genuine need to see this data. But the point is whether or not the cost and the unintended consequences of that is disproportionate. Mm. And I'd say that there are so many other ways that the law enforcement is empowered to go and get information. I mean, even to the point of you know having the legal right to go and confiscate people's machines and inspect them directly, you know, to see if you're engaging in any of these naughty behaviours. This is one of many ways, and for my personal preferences, it sets a slippery slope because it means that all encrypted communications, including that you know between me and my bank or me and my doctor or all kinds of places where I quite like that information to be private, just because you know for genuine reasons, it could be compromised in future. Yeah, and I think this is the thing. You, know, you can get into quite a technical discussion about this, but the right to privacy the right to kind of control your own data, I think is going to become more and more paramount in the digital age. And I kind of agree with you. There are legitimate, understandable, like very predictable concerns coming from law enforcement and similar agencies, but there'll always be a question of trust there. And I would say 
that you know they've always had to move the goals and the ways and the methodologies they use to investigate things. And in the past, you know, they didn't have access to any of this kind of data. Is a concern that more is being hidden or inaccessible compared to what it used to be. And you know, it's quite easy to understand there could be another major terrorist incident, and that tends to have a kind of negative effect or an effect on how people perceive what is allowable and what is not allowable. I mean, that clearly happened after. 9-11 in a lot of Western countries to the extent that kind of the secret service and other parts of that apparatus, you know, gain more funding. You know, I wouldn't say that's a good or a, a bad thing. I mean, typically, I think make it safer. But you've also got to consider this isn't just about the US and the UK and Europe. It's also about other countries. And for me, you know, from all the reading I've done, it isn't really possible to design a backdoor or an extra key that won't somehow compromise right. the system overall. And that's the big factor. And it's kind of what Ben was alluding mm. to there. And you, you get someone like GCHQ. I mean, they've uh, proposed an idea, basically the ghost protocol, which is the idea of adding an extra end to the conversation. So when we talk about end-to-end encryption, they said, well, add a third end that you know the right people can listen in on. But of course, that weakens the entire system um, to be fair to GCHQ, this was just a thought piece because, you know, understandably, they have a big stake in this. But I think whenever you try and do something like this, you will always introduce potential unintentional vulnerabilities, and that will increase the risk that the communications could be misused or abused by other parties. And so I sort of come down quite firmly on the encryption is okay, and I'm with Ben. There are other ways to look at this. I would probably say that the metadata is something I would be comfortable, you know. Yeah, I think so. In yeah, my yeah. country, but I'm not going to say that that will apply for everybody because it could be very dangerous in some places. And so this is not a simple yes or no debate. And quite often it provokes very strong emotions. And so we just have to remember that. But, you know, kind of in response to the question, I would say I think end to end encryption is always going to be available on some services. And the people who really got something high will have proper measures in place. And actually, that was one of the things that came out, you know whatever terrorist organizations you look at, initially they do make mistakes, but then they kind of tighten up on that kind of behavior and that practice. And if it's not through one of the big services, there will always be kind of open source versions of end-to-end encryption, you know, whether that's Whisper, there are others that people are using precisely because they're seen as more secure. And so it's very easy to have a very theoretical debate about this, but I do think you have to look at the practical realities. I think the challenge here is that a lot of the debate at the moment is being framed in terms of child abuse and therefore sort of low skill actors in this game who are kind of taking advantage of the encryption of this service because it's provided to them in a way they can access. But actually, again, I think that there are better ways to solve this. I think using the kind of analysis of data that could be legally obtained through these social networks gives them just as good an insight into the types of communications that might be going on there. And is it ideal and is it what the law enforcement guys would wish? No, but that's the reason you have legal checks and balances because otherwise you're entirely in a place where you rely on all the technology working perfectly and everybody utilising it only to the correct legal extent. And we know from many, many cases in the past that even when it's not being done maliciously, there are enough cases of powers being abused, even perhaps you know against minority groups. I mean, we're very lucky that, you know, sort of, white middle-class English people, we haven't been subject to you know, institutional bias or institutional racism. But I could well imagine if you ask somebody who felt that they'd come on the wrong end of a stop and search from the Met Police or something like that, that they would have a very different view about how reliable law enforcement as a whole's view of um, applying laws proportionally was. But I think it's a difficult one. 
the challenge is it's quite an emotional topic, you know, and, and as soon as it gets shrill and you sort of get the think of the children argument, whilst I understand why people are emotional about it, I would be too if it affected our family or my friends. I think it, it doesn't help us move it forward. Really interested to know your views on that mm. one in a respective constructive feedback kind of way. Indeed. You can get us at 361podcast.com. We're also on Twitter at 361podcast. That's us out of time. If you'd like to suggest topics that you'd like to hear more on, I have been flooded with comments and questions about my in-wall access points, my Ubiquiti networking yes. kit. A very, very popular. I mean, you nerds are not nerdy enough. I'm the king of the nerds here now with my clever <laughs> Wi-Fi that lives in the wall. So please do get in touch. We won't do it next episode, but in a couple of episodes time, we'll come back and I'll do a quick frequently asked questions if, in case people are interested. Won't labour it too much, but lots no, of people No, I think that'd be helpful. Yeah. How did it work? Where did you go? Yeah, How did you install yeah. it? All those kinds of things. And a few more follow-ups. And I've been answering them on Twitter, so grab me if you'd like. And I also posted some pictures there. So we will try and do that follow-up piece. As always, gents, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us from uh, squeaky Frankfurt, you and McLeod. Sorry about that. No, that's good uh, enough. Good enough. And yeah. we will be back in a fortnight's time. Upcoming topics that we'll be talking about. Microsoft's new Surface devices, what do they mean? Mm. And does it matter that they run on different chips? I'm going to struggle to get excited about chips, but... Catch up. New hardware. It's, it's nice. You need to get out more, Ben. Oh, well, it's nice looking hardware. Would you buy 5G devices? Mm. And... Uh, no, Rafe Lambert, excellent. Well, we've covered that just in a facial expression. <laughs> and we'll also be talking about some of our preferred fintech and business banking and personal banking apps as well. So if you're interested in any of those topics or indeed anything else, please do let us know through the website or on social media. Right, gents, thank you very much. We'll say bye-bye. Lots of love. Bye-bye. Goodbye. See you again in a fortnight. Bye.